some coffee. No gin and tonics? No, no gin and tonics this time. Oh, that's probably because it's like 10 a.m. <laughs> but we are on vacation, so we're gonna have Kahlua in our coffee. Ah. Because you know, that's a good vacation drink. <laughs> that is vacation. you, the sound of that is you pouring water into the French press. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, I know it's a small space, but you are not, I'm not peeing. peeing. I'm not peeing anywhere. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, no, I, I realized nobody can see what we're doing. So, <laughs> yes, this is it's very important to lay out. And we're on vacation in Cannon Beach, Oregon. So we're in our our trailer, our our R pod, R pod, R pod. Our pod, and we're making a podcast. I know we, we've been uh, talking since the last recording about oh, what kind of fun name can we put on this? And we realized that you know, bitter and sour was just kind of a bitter title. Yeah, <laughs> um, it wasn't very uplifting, and that isn't exactly what we were going for. So we've talked about incorporating our pod in somewhere in this. Um, like our pod sessions or something, our podish. So you're, you're hearing lots of sounds of me French pressing coffee right now. But if we did this right, I mean, there, our pod does sit at home. So even when we're not traveling, true, it's like our own our pod podcasting studio. Right, right. Yeah. In goes the Kahlua. I think you put a lot more Kahlua in yours than you did in mine. Which one is mine? The one closest to you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that. I do know. I can tell by the way, how be, much you put in could there. could be trying to liquor you up. <laughs> For our vacation. <laughs> yes. I uh, just have to say on a side note that uh, because, again, now that we're committed to an actual podcast and releasing this, you know, that uh, this is the coffee that I roasted. Before we left on vacation, right? I, yeah. roast all, I roast all of our coffee. Yep, I'm a spoiled woman. Well, there's uh, there's certain things that you know that I'm passionate about. There's certain things that you're passionate about, and so, you know, that's what this is all about: sharing our passions with each other, right? Yeah. We've got 25 years of sharing our passions this way. You're starting to sound like you're getting into other territory here. I'm not getting it. It's not what we're going to talk about this morning. I just have to wait a few more minutes until the coffee is ready. So we have to keep, we can't, we can't let there be dead, dead air. Dead air. That's right. So no dead air on a podcast, which is kind of hard when you're French pressing coffee and you have to wait for like four minutes, you know, before you can actually drink it. Yeah. So. But that's all right. Well, later today we're um, we're going to be heading up to Ecola State Park right. and doing um, a hike there. It's one of our favorite places to hike while we're here because the views are just epic. And there is this really cool zombie shelter that we plan on moving to when the zombie apocalypse happens. It's so amazing and so frightening too because I think there are giant spiders in there. Yeah, and last time we were up there, we tried to, our first time getting into it, we, we YouTubed how to get into this bomb shelter, and we got in, and I'm videotaping you walking ahead of me, 
and we get all the way through and then come all the way back out and realize I had never hit record. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so it was like oh, our God. first reactions to being in this really dark, you know, space and all we had was the light off of the phone and um, we were, I mean, it would have been a really cool recording and we didn't get any of it. Does that mean we have to do it again? No, we've already been down there. So there's no like reaction factor. We know what's in there. We know where we're going now. But... I do think it's super cool. But at the same time, like I said, I, I, I mean, we saw a giant spider in there, didn't we? I I think you saw what you wanted to see. <laughs> I did not want to see a giant spider. I think spider. you you assumed there were giant spiders and therefore they were there in your visual field. So I visualized my fears is what you're I I don't know. I didn't see the spider. <laughs> I have memories of a spider that was its body was like the size of a silver dollar. And its legs spread out like larger than my hand. That's, I have, I have memories of that. Now, that doesn't oh, mean they're real. I don't like that sound. Sorry, that was stirring in the metal cup. Ah, that's like nails on a chalkboard. Okay, we, we learned in the last recording. We oh, you be... did give me the second one. I knew I had pegged the right cup. Well, you said it, so then I just decided to do it. Yeah. So we learned in the in the first recording we did that we have to be really careful of bumping things on the table. So any like little, like here goes the cup. Oh, it it showed up in here, like it shows up as like a a sound wave spike. So yeah, well, professional podcasters are laughing at us right now. <laughs> there are no professional podcasters listening. There's nobody listening to this. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're we're doing this for our own for catharsis. Us. That's what yeah. we're yeah because yeah. we enjoy it. And then we uh, we kind of you know edited it and you know listened to it and kind of went through and you know for for checking to see if there's anything we needed to trim up or take out or anything like that. And we just found that we thoroughly enjoy listening to ourselves talk. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty amazing. Mm. So why wouldn't anyone else enjoy listening to us talk? <laughs> I can't wow. think of any reason, any reason no. at all. We'll we'll each listen to it on a different platform, so we'll get at least two listeners on our podcast. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's if we even bother to get it published. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the things you go through, kind of like setting all of this up in the first place. And like I had, like I, I did a podcast for our church years ago. I mean, it's been 10 years ago now. Um, or not quite 10, seven yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, it really has been seven years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, we, uh, and so I used to do the podcast for that. So, uh, um, but I, I mean, it, things have changed a lot since then. Yeah. So things have changed a lot since then, period. This is what a segue is called. Things have changed <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Not just in podcasting. I do like the coffee and Kahlua, though. I'm going to jump back to. Oh, the you do. First oh, so part. you're going to take it. So, so I have no, no time for a segue. Yet. Well, we can have the segue, but I just wanted you to know that I really like the coffee and Kahlua. I'm it sure I can't nice. do this before I go to work every day, but it is pretty oh. yummy. It, listen, vacation rules are different than than I, everyday I, rules. I that know, is that is true. That is true. That's very very true. So we yeah. We, my slurp. <laughs> yes, we it's very hot. Uh, it is. It's uh, yeah. Because when you French press too, it's like boiling hot water. And so, well, I mean, listen, I may have offended any coffee connoisseurs out there. It's not actually boiling hot water. I mean, 
you let it come down a few degrees. Where was that segue first. you had? <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> so, um, anyway, my how things have changed. <laughs> okay, I'll do a better segue. Okay. Um, you know, when we left the last time we sat down and yeah. recorded a conversation that we had with the intention of just kind of fleshing some things out for myself, um, I walked away... Um, with this real sense of uh, freedom to mm. um, have put some things into to a conversation that we could um, look back on. Um, I have this tendency to have a conversation, feel very satisfied um, with the back and forth, and then really struggle to remember what it was that was so pro- you know hit me so profoundly. And so it was really nice to be able to have that conversation and listen back on it and go, wow. And I, I actually found myself at one point, um, emotional about our conversation Mm -hmm. during, while listening to it. And I was surprised by that because these are things that have been sitting in my head, sitting in our conversations for a long time now. Um, but I think to, to hear them myself, uh, by not participating in the conversation, just listening, um, I had an emotional response to it. And it has, as I've just kind of sat with it for a few days, um, I realized that this is, this is a shift that I need to make. Um, my journey in this last year has been one towards a very authentic version of myself and um, one that I could be true and honest, not just with the rest of the world, but with me. And um, this last recording was, I think, a really outward step in that process of, um, of, of hearing my, my truth. Well, and I think too, that like, um, well, first of all, you, I mean, you and I are working through a, a lot of shit and, um, just, I mean, in our thinking, right. And, and how we approach things, how we think about things, undoing, unraveling a mm-hmm. lot of stuff, you know, um, I would say, I mean, there's this word <laughs> that we both have not, I mean, we've become less fond of it as time goes on, but deconstruction and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that. We started that process a long time ago, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, We started that process, geez, when we started it at uh, Donnelly Bible Church. No, Um, no. I think we actually started it back in California. At FBC. Uh, Yeah, yeah, in Watsonville. Um, So it literally has been, I mean, probably 15 years ago that we started that deconstruction process. But but it has has ramped up, and there's some, you know, and, and I think... For us, it, it hasn't been in like these segmented kind of neat little capsules mm-hmm. like where we're going to deconstruct this and then we're going to deconstruct that thought and then we're going to de- like, like we've just like we've been deconstructing everything. And and again, we've we've become less fond of deconstruction because it's such a, a loaded word. Um, and so I don't know what a better word is for it this time, but I think for for you and I, we have I mean, we have a lot of conversations that's. Um, it's one of the things I love about us is mm-hmm. that we just, that we talk through a lot of things. Um, as much as we hate road trips for the sake of road trips. Um, we man, have the we most, work a lot of shit out. Yeah. We have trips. the most amazing yeah. conversations on the road, um, or listen to some really amazing conversations of other people. And, yeah. um, we've made a lot of big life decisions yes. on the road in those conversations. And, um, and I think, uh, that was one, one thing that was happening when we first met, 
was we were engaging in conversation and a real back and forth and it was um it deepened over time how much right. we enjoyed um having conversation i think it sometimes sets us up that we think the rest of the world likes that too right <laughs> hence a podcast <laughs> <laughs> that nobody's going to listen to <laughs> because they don't enjoy what we enjoy um they might enjoy this coffee with Kahlua, though. It is tasty. Um, but I, I think that um, but there's a lot of processing that we have done over the years through that conversation. And we've created really safe space for each other to be able to to just kind of like ask the questions. And um, there was no question that was right. not allowed to be asked between us, even if it was not allowed in other circles. Um, and so I think... Deconstruction feels like a almost a bit of a demolition word. Like you just come in and you um, tear down the whole building at one Take time. Take a wrecking ball to it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember even when we had the Q and A at the Rob Bell thing recently, or this last summer, um, I had asked him a question about a deconstruction process in his own life, and he had mentioned he doesn't really enjoy that word either, <clears throat> and. I think that um, it seemed that he was framing it in more terms of a continual growth process. Um, and I, when I thought about it in, in that light, um, it's really less about, um, I mean, there's stuff you take away and you get rid of and you put to death and you grieve it and you let it go. But there's also a lot that you open up mm. and you broaden and you make more space and you make bigger space and... Um, and I, and I actually kind of prefer, um, that as a description of, of our process. Um, yeah, I like that. I think in the, in the conversations we have though, I think sometimes you, you, I mean, we, we can tend to talk a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't mean like in any kind of bad sense, I'm just mean, like our conversations can go on for a long time. And I think in that, there's a lot of things that get said that we don't necessarily stop and reflect on, right? Mm -hmm. And so so things get said that we don't even really realize that, we, that we've that we said it. Um, and in fact, one of, the, one of the names we've played around with is, you know, you know, did I just say that? Or did we just say that? Or something like that, right? That, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about that kind of, and that wasn't in terms of like, oh my gosh, did we just say that kind of thing? It was more in the, yeah. wait, did we just say that? You know, like yeah. this, almost <laughs> like a, wow, I, I like what we just said, but we didn't, but we didn't pay attention to it necessarily in the course of the conversation. And, and I think sometimes that's just kind of a, a rhythm of conversation that happens. And so, I mean, there is something in, you know, in, and I know this, this might be like, terrible podcasting but we don't care because we're not podcasters so we get to do whatever we no, want we have right? an audience of two <laughs> right and so when we go and back and we listen to our conversation we hear things that we're like holy shit that did I that was good that? <laughs> like yeah like that was good and not to stroke our own egos but like no i I didn't know that that was the way i wanted to frame that and it just or kind of came out yeah, or you've been wrestling with something in your head for a while, but you don't have words for it yet. You don't have a way to articulate it. Right. Because the process of of uh, the evolution of that thought process hasn't 
um, hasn't completely happened yet. So I think that when we were listening back, we went, oh, wow, no, that that was it. We've been trying to say that in a certain way for a while, and we just said it. Yeah. Um, so that's where that, um, did I just say that? Yeah. You know, idea came from. But um, but what, it, what that does for me is, you know, forget <laughs> podcasting or whatever else. Um, what that does for me is to say, man, maybe I should, like, just hit record on my phone more often and just say something out loud. Mm-hmm. Like, just just kind of like start talking about something and then go back and listen to it so that I can, I can, I can hear the way that I'm putting something because there's, there's clarity that can come in that sometimes I think. And secondly, that I probably need to do a lot better job listening to you, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, uh, that things sometimes can just get like glossed over or they can just, you know, I mean, there's like, you know, for me, I have a, a terrible, terrible memory. memory. Yes, we joke about it at times, and other times we do not joke, joke about, about it. it. <laughs> but, nope. but I, I have a terrible memory. I forget, I forget things all the time, and um, and I, I would like to think of it as a condition because it lets me off the hook. Um, but uh, but whatever it is, you, whatever the case, it 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 exists. I have a terrible memory. We went back and listened to our conversation, and I'm like. Oh, that was really smart. You just put your mug on your blanket so it didn't clank on the table. I know. I was ready to stop holding my mug. That's and r- <laughs> you told me I can't touch the table. <laughs> so I put my blanket on the table. Yeah, that was really smart. You're so brilliant. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Now I'm looking around going, what can I put my mug on? <laughs> There's a towel over There's there. a towel right there. I'll get it in a minute. <laughs> Sorry, I so totally sidetracked you. Um... Yeah, see, I forget what I was saying. Oh, bad memory. <laughs> hey, anyway. We've made that point now. <laughs> yeah. The point is, because we haven't made it yet, the point is, is that when I went back and listened, I like, I was like, I don't remember, I don't remember hearing you say that, or I don't remember saying that, even in the course of a conversation that we just had. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <clears throat> I'm, I mean, it, it, this is kind of opened up something for me where it's like, this might be just a good practice for me on a regular basis. Just mm-hmm. again, because I have issues. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so, for another podcast. That's for <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we'll do a pod. <laughs> We're going to talk about your life development. We're going to talk about your, you know, your ideas that you have and, and how you're growing and all that. And we're going to talk about my issues. <laughs> I think that sounds, that sounds right. <laughs> Sounds right. I think we'll still only get two listeners, no matter what we do. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, might as well talk about whatever we want to talk about. That's Are we going to talk about something meaningful today? Well, yeah. This is all. <laughs> I think we have it. I think this is all meaningful. Okay. Everything is meaningful. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, so we. We said in the, you know, when we cut off the last recording that, uh, that this next time that we recorded, um, we were going to talk about the year of Jess, um, cause we kind of alluded to that and, and what happened, you know, in the, and that was last year, mm-hmm. uh, 2019. And so, um, uh, that's what we wanted. I mean, I think that's the focus of what we want to talk about today. Um, it's just, is unpacking that. And I think there's. There's some unpacking that specifically 
that um, that you have wanted to do in order to to clarify it, mm-hmm. right? Because um, for you, and I don't want to speak for you, I just, mm-hmm. you no, know, um, but for you, you have been engaging with people and saying, hey, this is something that I experienced in my life, <clears throat> and it had this radically transforming nature to it and and I would love to help you um, have your own year of jets or your year of you mm-hmm. right um, in so that you can um, you can have your own uh, you can have the benefits that that come with that as mm-hmm. well um, that does that kind of yeah I think that um, explains it it's been an evolving um I don't want to. I'm not ready to call it a project, but it's been an an evolving learning lesson, um, experience, journey that um, has maybe found its space in being able to help other people. Um, I did not go into the year of Jess intending to help anyone but myself. Mm. Um, So there was not. an agenda for how I could use my life experience to help other people. In fact, I think we even had that conversation at one point that um, it was time for us to stop looking at our life as um, a series of trials and circumstances that need to be used for God to help other people. Hmm. Um, I think it was time to uh, truly heal for the sake of ourselves, um, for the sake of me, um, without any... uh, expectation that I was doing it for something later um, for someone else specifically um, I've looked at life in the past um, I think it's the way we were raised um, the way we even met was that um, we are used by God to uh, help others used to, by God yeah yes um, but but in a very Does everybody want to be used well I, and I guess I mean it in the very real sense that we we set out to um, find a life that served God in a full-time capacity, a, um, a paid capacity, so that we could live and do that thing that we wanted to do. Um, and so our life then gets viewed through this lens of... Um, okay, we, we went through this hard thing as a family or we went through that difficult circumstance over there and this is how God worked it out in my life and I, I'm going to be able to use that in the future to help other people get through that. And right. and it, in and of itself, it doesn't sound like a bad thing, but I think, you know, about 20 years later of that, we find ourselves not sure how to um, honestly live um, for the health of ourselves too. Um, we just get through things so that we can then use it for helping others, right? Um, so we we don't get to work on some of the things that we needed to be working on. So I think the year of just became a personal journey, a personal project to heal myself, um, to find wholeness in a uh, newly <laughs> fragmented body. Um, and it evolved into something that, uh, I, I don't necessarily want to help other people with because of it, Mm. but I, 
I do want to offer space for other people to um, to heal themselves, um, to be able to uh, maybe give them a uh, catalyst or a, a space to be able to start their own journey. Um, so let's um, <clears throat> let's kind of let's I think back up just a little bit because in order for us to understand how <laughs> we even went into 2019 yeah. as the year of Jess because it was it was very unintentional in the beginning. It was. We we discovered that you were having a year of Jess. We didn't <laughs> intend Ten for it, right? For you to have a year of Jess, and that's that was that's interesting to me. Even just looking back, there was very intentional choices in that, but it wasn't. Hey, I think we should do something different this year. I think it should look like this, and I think we should call it this. Um, In fact, I was very. um, I don't know. You fought it for a long time. I did fight it. I pushed the idea that this is we should just commit to this, and you were yeah for a lot of different reasons. Anyway, we'll get we'll get into that, but but in twenty seventeen. You know, there was a, a big shift that happened mm-hmm. with you. And we don't have to go into all the details unless you want to. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. we. but just to give some background mm-hmm. as to what happened in 2017. Well, well I think um, the year of 2016 was, um, I, I feel like, was the, um, I can't think of a better word, but maybe the collapse of our marriage. Um, we hit ground zero. Um all the shit about ourselves came to the surface, and um, we were at a crossroad as far as what we were going to do next. It was the worst year of our life. Yeah, I would say so. Um, Collectively and personally. Like, both of yeah, us would say that. Like, yes. Yeah. Our individual and our collective journey together in that year. It was it was truly ground zero. And it was, um, you know, what, what would that have been, 20 one years of building, 22 years of building, that we got to, to that space. Um, and um, obviously that whole thing is a, is a separate conversation, but understanding that we had, um, we had hit this uh, bottom in our marriage and we had to make some really um, decisive yes. um, choices um, about ourselves personally and about ourselves together. And so 2017 became the year of... Uh, recommitting, um, redefining what our marriage was, and um, healing it, and growing it into a different space. It was literally like a death of our old marriage, and um, uh, getting, honestly, we we said it over and over again, like we got to know each other as entirely new human beings. We had to to rediscover, not only ourselves, we had to rediscover each other. We had to rediscover our marriage. And I know it, it, it was hard and painful work, and we did it with a therapist. Um, we were committed to the work. Um, we put a lot of things um, aside to say that the most important thing right now in our life is our relationship. Um, we said no to many, many things in our life um, in 2017. And we, yeah. yeah. We uh, cut a lot of shit out of our lives at that we time. We did, and we started to decide what what was actually important where we had lost each other. Um, yeah, it was, like I said, it's a, it's a, almost a whole story in and of itself. Um, that isn't, but I, but understanding that we were, we were in this process, we recommitted, um, our 
relationship on our anniversary that year of 2017 here in Cannon Beach. Um, we, Which is why this place is so, so special, special to us. us. Um, <clears throat> we wrote new vows, um, and we just we said that was our new beginning. So this year, we're married 25 years, and we're married three years. Yeah. So it's a really, um, I don't know, it's an, an important space for us to be here. Understanding that we are doing all of this hard work that year, um, then coming into, I think it was July of 2017, I was, I was working as an orthodontist assistant and found it harder and harder to see what I was doing. Um, I had to approach um, the doctor and say, my, the doctor I worked for, and say that I'm really, there's certain things that I, I don't feel safe doing because I'm having trouble seeing. I promise I'll get... You're dealing with micro-instruments, <laughs> putting braces on people's right. teeth. I mean, it's and like, I, yes. What I was actually losing, I didn't realize it at the time, was any depth perception. So a mouth is a dark space, and I wasn't able to gauge where I was at. And so I quickly stopped doing anything that involves that and, and told him I was going to be, you know, getting my eyes checked. And so I started the process of getting my eyes checked and, um, we went through all kinds of different thoughts from doctors as far as what was going on. But the first thing that was discovered in that was, um, they did a, a vision loss test at, yeah, uh, it was a, a vision field, a field of vision test. And what we found out is that you had lost like half of your vision. Yeah, for the lower half of that, my left eye, the vision from um, the center point blind. down was, I was blind. Um, so this was like huge. What's causing this? Um, and so had really great doctors every step of the way in this process and um, they kept referring me to specialists. And one of the thoughts on the table was that, um, that I might have MS. Um, so I remember we went to a neuro-ophthalmologist who was going to help us decide if, that, you know, if this was part of the diagnosis or what was going on. Um, and with each week that went by, each new doctor I saw, the vision was getting worse. It was happening so fast. Yeah, and I was losing vision like in pie shapes across my eyes. So it had gone from the lower half to now adding a pie in the upper half. And every time I visited a doctor, there was more um, vision loss. Um, I had no color vision in that eye any longer. And, um, and without color vision, um, without having, being able to see, you use both eyes for depth perception. And the more, uh, vision loss I had in the left eye, the less depth perception I had. So right. even running, I started tripping and falling and we used to have to run together, together. And, I'd have to, and you'd have to hold on to me as yep. we were running. And I'd have to tell you, there's a crack on the sidewalk here. Yeah. There's a, yeah. And, um, it started to make a lot of things make sense because I couldn't understand why I was suddenly tripping and falling so much and why I was struggling in right. dark spaces and things like that. So, um, I remember going in though to see this ophthalmologist and, um, we were processing the idea that of MS and what that looked like for me, um, what life might look like with MS. Um, it would make it very difficult for me to be continue being a runner um, for various reasons. And so we were trying to figure all of that out. And so I was in this process of looking at a 
a long-term condition that I would have to manage the rest of my life. And, um, and I remember us walking in and, and we said, no, we, we walked, we actually had the appointment. It was when we came out and they said, yeah, this really indicates MS, but we want to get an MRI and, um, take a look and see there were some things in an MRI that you could see that indicated, you know, MS. So, um, but we walked out and I said, well, at least it's not a tumor. <laughs> yeah. I remember that conversation yeah. so clearly. Like, we just talked about my horrible memory, but there are certain things that burn themselves in my mind. I remember that conversation. You and I looking at each other saying, at least it's not a tumor. Yeah. Um, it was that day that we decided to go home and talk to the girls because we knew there was going to be a lot more testing going on. And, and it wasn't, we hadn't wanted to say anything until we had something more definitive as far as what's going on. And so we, we went home that night and I just said, hey, this is this is where we're at. We're not sure what's going to come, but we have lots of tests to do. Um, we're going to keep you in the loop all along um, the way. And um, MRI come, gets done and comes back, and um, I get a call and then a text from the, the eye doctor uh, with a picture <laughs> of a tumor. Yeah. sitting on my optic nerve and was cutting off blood supply in through my eye, eye. In your eye cone. Yeah. In my eye cone. And um, I was like, we almost laughed because it was like, we just got done saying, at least it's not a tumor. Um, really, in the end, uh, I'm really grateful that it was a tumor because um, there's a start and a finish with it. Um, right. And MS wasn't going to MS would have been a life sentence. Right. Yeah. And so... We proceeded through the chains of referrals um, and landed um, in, with a, a specialist in Spokane, an orbital um, specialist, who removes these types of tumors on a regular, on a regular basis. basis. So um, they're, so they're fairly common, actually. Yeah. And then, and the particular tumor was called a cavernous hemangioma. Right. And so it was a collection of blood vessels. As a tumor, yeah. Yeah, that, that uh, as far as formed they into tell. a mass. Yes. Yeah, this is what they were guessing it was. They didn't yeah. know. that. You're right, you're right. They were guessing mm -hmm. this is what it was. Um, so we and at, went... the time, at the time, believed that it would probably be benign. So, so we mm -hmm. had like some, some good information there, but there was mm -hmm. always this thing of like, but we don't really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we do know is that it's, that it's, crimping your optic nerve right now we could see your optic nerve in the mri pinched, in it, or, uh, pinched and kinked and really swollen up mm -hmm. like it was it was being damaged yeah well and then what was really crazy is the the eye doctor had originally told us you know this specialist dr michaels removes these all the time this right. is a, a regular thing so you're going to be in good hands and da 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 so we go in for our first appointment well actually i'd made my appointment with dr michaels and before we could get in, um, it was, I think I had about two weeks before I could get in. Um, th the next, that weekend, after getting the MRI uh, visuals back and seeing the tumor, that weekend I lost another pie shape. I remember we were standing in our driveway mm -hmm. and we were having a conversation and all of a sudden you just like, almost like you tripped backwards and grabbed the wall. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and you're like, part of my vision just blinked out. And you... You lost. I mean, it was like a like a third of what was remaining yeah. just 
it was just gone. What I had left at that moment was basically one pie shape left, one pie slice left. In, like an eighth of a pie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty. It was. It was pretty scary in that moment because I literally could cover one eye and I really just couldn't see. I could see some light filter in, and that was about it. And um, so I decided, you know, <laughs> this was pretty drastic in this day. I'm just going to go ahead and call. I think the next day was actually a holiday. I think it was over, yeah. um, what would that have been, Labor Day weekend? And I, so I called and just left a message and said, hey, this, I know I have an appointment in a couple of weeks, but this just happened. I'm not sure if it's important um, for you guys to know at this point, but, you know, here it is. I get a call on Tuesday morning saying, from them saying, we need you in this afternoon. I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess yeah. it was important. And um, so we went in and uh, we met Dr. Michaels for the first time. I know that sounds like he's the, he's the one doctor I've named. Um, he has become um, a very intimate part of this whole process and really my, my anchor as a doctor, um, informing he my care. He coordinated all, all my of care. your care. Yeah. Yeah. So he holds a very um, important um, space in our life. Um, but when he came in, he introduced himself, and he said, well, um, I just want to let you know before we get started that um, I am waiting for a phone call from a colleague um, to discuss your case, and I've been trying to get a hold of them today, so I, if that call comes in, I'm going to leave and take the call. I was like, okay, well, wow, that sets a precedence that this is important. And so he looked at us and he says, I don't really have good news for you. Yeah. Can I just back up for a second though? He, it was a little more, a little more blunt than that. I no, I think later when he got called out, that's when we found out who oh, he was waiting okay. for. Yeah. Okay. So, um, sorry to oh, interrupt okay. your story. No, you're right. This you're was right. the shock factor. You're right. I love so, that you knew what I was thinking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I'm like, don't go there, don't go there yet. I'm not done with my story. Um, no, but it, it, he says, we we don't really have good news for you. Um, he said, this is a very difficult thing. This is normally something that I can take out by a little, you know, removal of a, a, spot, a spot on your temple. And we just go in and we just pluck these right out. Um, and he says, it's pretty non-invasive. I mean, you get into the eye um, or the orbit of the eye. But right. um, he says, but... What we have here is, from what I can figure at this time, is four options. And one of them was to leave it alone. And that meant uh, I would eventually go blind. Mm -hmm. But it would also mean that with the loss of circulation through the optic nerve to my eye, I would eventually lose my eye altogether. And at some point would have to have that eye removed. Um, so option But that was an option because he believed it was benign. But he couldn't guarantee it right. was benign. He just, he believed it was. Right. So the, the fact that we even had that option on the table was because from the imaging that they had at this time, they saw that there was a connected, that the tumor itself was connected to a main artery in my brain. So the tumor actually sat really far back at the farthest point of my ocular cone, which made getting to it very difficult for one the second risk was that if it, depending on how it was attached and if it was gaining its blood supply from that main artery, 
going into my eye and trying to navigate through there was going to risk um, me bleeding out, which would not only have caused me to go blind, but could kill me in the process. And and very specifically on that, there, it was because you your optic cone is separated from your brain cavity basically in your skull, and so the this little this little tendril that was coming off of the tumor, he couldn't quite see it in the mm-hmm. in the MRI. And but it it appeared like it was actually going through the bone of your optic cone. Well, there's a there's a little hole at the end of that that cone. Yeah, but he believed it was going in in there, mm-hmm. and then it and that he thought there was an attachment point on the main artery that runs like behind your brow, um, and that mm-hmm. and runs around kind of like the front part of your your right. skull there. I don't quite understand it all, but so his yeah. his concern was if he went in the normal way, he he pulls that tumor out and if it is connected and it pops off on the artery side of your skull then they have to cut into your brain basically the the brain cavity and he said the amount of time it would take to do that you would bleed out in seconds and die on the operating Mm -hmm. room table he said so so they it it wasn't an option it wasn't an option to go in the way he normally went yeah option two is the normal way that he removes these and option two really wasn't an option right um so option three was um, a decompression of the sinus cavity. So the, the space um, beto- from my eye cone to my sinuses above my nose, yeah. um, the idea was there's... Go up your nose. Yeah, the, there was um, to create a, a hole be- in the bone between the two and allow that the, the lubricating fat that exists inside your ocular cone for shock absorption of the eye and all of that would then move and lay over into that Your new space, cavity. into my yeah. nasal cavity. Um, a relieving pressure, um, the tumor could might actually fall over and give us some time to before I lost all my vision, before I had the risk of losing yeah. my eye altogether. It could give us give time. Give more space in there yeah. to not be pinching the optic mm-hmm. nerve. So it would be a step to probably another step, but they needed to see if this step was viable um, could save my eye and my optic nerve before we figured out what right. to do next. Um, and then he said the um, the other option, um, and he sa- said it was the um, kind of that worst-case scenario. We would actually have to go from the top of my head um, through my skull, through my, you know, in front of my brain, and actually do the surgery with a neurosurgeon um, so that if that pulling that tumor out created a bleed, they were there. They could yes um, clamp it as quickly as possible. But it was very very invasive. But it was it was neurosurgery. It was neurosurgery. Yeah. Um. So, uh, he finishes telling us what these four options were, and then the nurse came in and said, um, "Your phone call um, has come through," and he he looked at us and he said, "Oh, that's my neurosurgeon." I have to go take this. I have to go take this. And we're like, what the fuck? You're talking to a neurosurgeon already? Um, I mean, we just sat there just like, I think we both went pale in that moment. Um, I, he must not have told us that fourth option because we had not discussed neurosurgery at that point when okay. he, that call came in. But either way. All we I remember is like, that one of, the, one, of the, one of the brilliant characteristics of Dr. Michaels that we only came to appreciate later as we're going on. <laughs> But he was just so matter-of-fact and dry. 
just like he just he would just tell you what it was. This 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 is this this is this. Oh, that's my neurosurgeon. I gotta go talk to him. And we're like, you know, and I would have to stop him at times and be like, whoa whoa, hang on. <laughs> I know this is your everyday. This is totally fucking us up right now. You've got to stop for a second and just like, and tell us what that means. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, like I I would maybe well, I didn't, it, maybe I didn't say fucking this up, but no. I, fucking us up. But I I I had those conversations like I would say that to him in the room mm. then he'd be like you're right sorry and then he would kind of come down but it was all just so well and I realized after having been on the other side of all of it the recovery side of what has happened that he's actually not that way on a daily basis right the case that he had with me was so extreme uh, in how we were going to do this that I think his we were seeing his a game every time he walked into that room um, we were seeing the, you know, the cogs and wheels turning all the time and him trying to figure out how are we going to do this? He came back and he said, okay, so, you know, here's, here's where we're at. Um, he goes, I've been having specialists all over the nation review your case and figure all over the nation. Yeah. And, um, and we just went, oh my gosh, we just, we just moved to a whole lot, another level of serious here. And am I actually hearing someone say to me that brain surgery is one of my four options? Um, I mean, I, it was, I just, we were just dumbfounded, um, honestly. And, um, but the, the beautiful thing about Dr. Michaels is he said, you know, if we do nothing and you lose your eye, he goes, nothing can happen to your other eye or you will be blind. He goes, this is a, quality of life issue that um that you are if you choose to do nothing um you are choosing a really high risk life and he goes you're too young to live in that high risk category like that um and the fact that he wanted to fight so hard for my quality of life was was a gift it was a gift but it was really eye-opening because I hadn't fought that hard for my quality of life. Oh, oh, shit, yeah. You know, like, I hadn't put my own health as that kind of priority. (laughs) And here he was, he was doing that. He was saying, we might be able to resolve this tumor in, in a couple of different ways, but the end result is your quality of life. What are the decisions we're going to make for that? And, um, so, yeah, it was absolutely a gift, but it was really to start thinking in different terms about how I was going to manage my care moving forward. You were, you were, we were both so vested in this, like emotionally, I feel like we both went through all of it together, but, um, I was in surgery by the end of the week, um, with one of the top, um, ENTs in Spokane and they did the sinus decompression and, um, I remember at that time too, like we walked into the office and you said, my name is Jessica Travis and they said, come, come this way. 
and there was a waiting room full of people and we're like, you're just going to take us right in. And they said, yeah, you have a brain tumor. You go to the top of the list. Yeah. So he said the, the, um, uh, assistant who was helping, um, Dr. Corny said it would be like somebody sitting in the ER who's having an active heart attack in the moment. They don't get to sit and wait. Yeah. They get to come to the back. He said, that's you. And I was like, are and we you were kidding like, me? We were like, what is going on? Like, it was like this. I like suddenly we, felt like I needed to be wrapped in bubble wrap or something. Like, I just had no um, yeah. uh, way to absorb the um, f- fragility of my situation at that time. Um, we did the sinus decompression. Um, the doctors were you know, absolutely amazing. Although Dr. Picorni wanted one of the, a specialist to be there, um, in that particular hospital wouldn't allow them in, but it was still strategic enough of a surgery for this particular thing that, that he was looking for specialists as well. Um, you know, or, or more voices into how do we, how do we resolve this? Um, that surgery was successful to a point. It did allow me some pie pieces, um, back in my vision, which, was huge huge it gave us time because all we were like we weren't expecting like dr michaels wasn't expecting any return of sight he was he was expecting to take some pressure off and to stop the uh, progression the progression uh, of and maybe allow blood flow of the killing of the optic nerve but he he said the optic nerve is gray which means it's dying Mm -hmm. he says i don't expect it to come back Mm -hmm. and you actually recovered a little bit Recovered a little bit. I got a little bit of sight back. So the that was in September. So, um, but I came out of that surgery with weeks of vertigo. Um, yes. And so I couldn't drive. I couldn't navigate on my own, um, which meant that um, that was I, I had to quit my job. You had to um, quit your job at the orthodontist, which they were incredibly gracious. But I just couldn't get back and forth to work on my own, um, and the type of work that I would do there. You Your hands, people's <laughs> mouths. I couldn't. And see you had vertigo, yeah. and yeah. you couldn't. You could only see out of one. I eye wasn't and... very useful in that industry, and so um, going back and working for Fleet Fee as I had done pri- in previous years allowed me to um, work from home, depending on how long this vertigo left. But I could also but ride worked, to work with you. But we worked together, so I could drive you, right. and we could. Yeah. So we made this big. Um, shift in occupation for me to, to move into that. And, um, and it was, it was definitely what I needed at that time, um, was to try and get past this vertigo stuff. I think it was several weeks. I want to say three or four weeks of this vertigo. We started to get worried. Nobody could figure out why I was having it. Um, and then suddenly one day it stopped. So, um, but in September, Dr. Michael said, okay, we've got, we've got this. Um, in January, we want another MRI um, to see what is happening, to see if there's any growth in the tumor. If anything changes, call me. So January, we did another MRI. Everything looked pretty much the same, except there was some pressure. You could tell that the tumor had released off the optic nerve a little bit. Um, so this was... A good holding pattern to see what yeah. was going to happen next and now it was a matter of watching growth um and if it grew at any particular rate they had their system for growth rate 
um, then it would define what we did next. And he yeah, because there was a because we were going to be watching it to see if it would metastasize for one. Right. So there was still you know they had. They were they, assuming it. It was a certain. They didn't biopsy time. it because they didn't. They get, couldn't get to they it. They didn't get to it. To if the they were going to biopsy it, they could get take it out. So that was the right. So they still didn't know for sure, um, but they still believed it to be benign. Mm-hmm. So if it started this rapid growth, then they would assume that it had metastasized, right. and then it would be like a you know a, a whole different animal. Yeah, he said. He said if I if I call you one day, um, or we talk on the phone one day, and I say it's time. He says, I need you to trust me that that we don't have another option. And he was doing, you know, his research and trying to figure out how we were going to And we were going this. through all kinds of things. Like, we were going through, like, you know, or like, what was that, uh, laser radiation oh, yeah, yeah. or With whatever. Gamma, it was called gamma radiation. You know, with, yeah. oh, that was one of the other options that I didn't mention. But gamma radiation. But Dr. Michaels didn't feel like it would be effective um, for my for the particular location and the type of tumor that I had, so but it was definitely an option on the table. He just wasn't convinced yet without the research. He didn't it, really talk about it like it was a good option. He no. just said it is an option, and he says if you want to explore it, I will make the referral for you to go talk to the best in the country who happened to be in Being Seattle. Seattle, yeah. But he kind of said it like I'll do anything you want me to, but it was like he wasn't. He wasn't suggesting it as a he, as an I think actual viable. We got yeah, viable would be a good word. We didn't get the impression that it was, it could solve the problem, um, without other types of side effects right. and damages. So, um, I think it was about, um, it must have been in May. We had been in Portland, um, and I. Remember I this. I had given Dr. Michaels a call. Maybe we did the, another CT in that time. I'd have to go back and look at my blog on that one, but because um, we documented everything that was happening. Again, pictures burned in my memory. We're sitting there having lunch at Breakside Brewery, Brewery yeah. and you get a, a, call. a work lunch because um, we were ta- we, we yeah. were there for um, yeah. for work, and um, and I, you know see my phone and it says it's Dr. Michaels and I have to take this I have to take it and I went outside and he just said it's time just like that just like that he says we don't have any time left we need to do this and I said okay what do you mean by we don't have any time left am I looking at another six months that we have to do this I'm looking at what am I looking at yeah yeah we're we're like yeah six months three months I mean what's our time yeah and he says well when do you get back from Portland and I went, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, my breath was just taken away. Yeah. And, um, and he said, I, I want you to see the neurosurgeon as soon as you get back from Portland. And I said, okay. And I remember walking back in and I just looked at you and I said, I don't, I don't even know, remember what I said. Maybe I said it's time. Um, yeah. You just said, you, you said, I said that was Dr. Michaels and you're like, yeah. He said, it's time. And we both just. Like the world just stopped. Like I had to. So I called him after that. Yeah. Because I know that as I was receiving information from him too, that there's a part of you that just freezes in the last word said. And, um, but, but what I heard was what he said. I mean, it, 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 it was that timely. We got back and it's like end of May or beginning of June and. We visit with um, Dr. Carlson, the neurosurgeon in Spokane, um, both of who, Dr. Michaels and Dr. Um, Carlson, are two of the best 
surgeons in their fields in the Pacific Northwest. They gave me options of going to Oregon, um, to uh, Portland to have surgery or going to Seattle, but they said, that's where we came from. We were trained by these people. We get referrals from them to us. Um, but they gave me the option and I was like, I don't, I don't want to keep seeing new people. I was trusting Dr. Michaels at this point and I just said, you, I will trust what you tell me to do. We met with Dr. Carlson, um, and he really made it seem like it was no big deal. We're just going to do this and we're just going to do this. And, um, he (laughs) had an interesting sense of humor about things and could, you know, tell me what to expect and... Um, he even said, you know, I said, okay, am I getting my head shaved? Like what, what is this? Like literally what is this going to entail? And he says, yeah, you might have a nice comb over afterwards and you know, that kind of thing, which I never did. And I asked him about it later and he said, well, I was joking about that. And I'm like, well, I took you seriously. I was planning for a shaved head. Um, so, okay. So here's the thing. I think that we're, that this now we're stepping into this whole second chapter of this entire thing right now. I think we need to take a pause for a second, okay? Uh, well, it would be a second for us, but... <laughs> and I think that we actually need to to record this next session all by itself. Okay. Okay? Um, and because I think there, there are... Um, like, it is a story unto itself, what mm-hmm. happened to this. And I don't, I don't want to feel rushed through any part of it because there's so many profound things that happen in that wouldn't you agree i do i'm i'm listening to us talking and and part of me is if i'm just really honest part of me is like this is this is our story you and i are having this conversation and i don't know that it would interest anyone else yeah for this part of the process um and so um I know it's part of understanding what the year of Jess became, but I wonder that that the details of what we're talking about are, you know. Yeah, I mean, who knows? And again, I think that's what we set out to do here is just to um, to record this conversation between the two of us so we could go back and listen mm-hmm. to it and hear what we say. Yeah. And I think because that's that's important for us to hear things like there is there is something in particular that you said that I'm still like just like I want to have like this much deeper conversation with you. It will be a private conversation, um, but it's when um, it it has to do with you realizing that you had never taken care of yourself. And all of a sudden now, because this new information, you had to look at what do I have to do to take care of me? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, that's massive. Yeah. I've never heard you say that until right now. That's why we're doing this. Yeah. And so, um, so who cares if anybody ever listens to it or not? It, if it is just an audience of two, who, who cares? Mm. This is worth it because of that. But I do think that this is this. We weren't really intending to Mm-mm, go all we of here, um, which is fine. I think it's I, I'm enjoying it. Um, but I just think that I just think we need a little pause 
and and then to go into that part of the story because it is a story all on its own. Well, and it really what happens next in this story really became the catalyst yeah. to um, the year of Jess. The other the part we just discussed was the building and the building and the kind of like the uh, the pressure in yeah. in the pot building. Yeah. Um, and what happens next is that it was really the release of that pressure yeah. and what um, what came from that. Um, I just I just did a podcast yesterday with somebody else, and one of the things that kind of came up was that the launch, um, the catalyst for my year of Jess being these brain surgeries, um, and the realization that I had a really extreme situation that launched this new sure. this new phase. But not everybody has brain surgery, right? Yeah. And so um, is, you know, it's made me question since that um, interview that that was the brain surgery itself really the catalyst? Mm. Or was it something more about mm. who I was at yeah. that time that started to engage the need to uh, journey to a more whole me? Yeah. Um, but I do think that um, the next part of this story um, brings in a lot of the whys of how I got to 2019. Sure. sure. Um, specifically in regards to um, healing my body. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, good. So, we'll take a break. and we'll Go for come a hike? Up. We'll come right back. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about... I mean, like, we'll, we'll just continue on. Okay. Um, but... Uh, yeah, but if we're going to release this, and if and if anybody else does happen to listen to it, I mean, it could be a week or two before they <laughs> That's a hook, right? It's a hook, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, plus I think it's time for a gin and tonic. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right awesome. on. Okay. All right.